Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to the 100th episode of Mind Stories. Today, I am honored to have on as my guest, Dr. Vivian Burt. Dr. Burt is Professor Emetrius of Psychiatry in the Department of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral Sciences at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA in Los Angeles, California. In addition, she is founder and director consultant of the Women's Life Center of the Resnick UCLA Neuropsychiatric Hospital. She's authored more than 50 articles and book chapters, including the chapter on women in the last five editions of the American Psychiatric Press Textbook of Psychiatry, most recently published in 2019. She has co-authored the American Psychiatric Press Clinical Manual for Women's Mental Health and has spoken widely on the topic of women's mental health with an emphasis on perinatal and perimenopausal psychiatry. Dr. Burt has been honored with an Outstanding House Staff Teaching Award from the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute, both a President's Award and an Outstanding Achievement Award from the Southern California Psychiatric Society, the Distinguished Service Award of the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute and Hospital, and the 2008 Andre Boven Professorship of the Mother Risk Program of the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Canada. The focus of her activities includes projects in women's mental health, with a particular emphasis on psychiatric illnesses associated with reproductive transitions. Today, we talk about women's mental health, why it's good for mothers, their babies, and their families. Welcome, Dr. Burr. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, it's my honor to have on as our 100th guest, Dr. Vivian Burt. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. So I've known you through the Women's Life Clinic at UCLA, and you've been a mentor of mine and many other psychiatrists who have come through the UCLA residency program and other residency programs in really teaching clinicians about women's reproductive mental health. Yeah. And uh, you were one of my very special students some years ago, and it's wonderful to see you out flourishing in private practice. You know, I think part of why I wanted to have you on as, as my 100th guest is this idea that a lot of what I do is work with women's reproductive health. And I think a passion started for that with training and the type of clinical experience that you've allowed people to have as they go through that clinic and the numerous women that you've treated and families that you've treated throughout the years is just incredible. So I'm excited to educate our guests about what this all is. Well, you know, it's not surprising that women's mental health is pertinent to really everyone's practice. Why? Because generally more than 50% of patients who come to a psychiatrist or a therapist's office, more than 50% of them are women. And whether they come to the fore and first talk about issues that have to do with being a woman and being at whatever part of life they're in, or whether it comes up with questioning, it's there more often than not. Yeah. Well, let's define women's reproductive mental health. What is that? What what is your definition? Good question. Well, let's face it. As women move through their lives, and we could even start actually with little girls, before puberty, there isn't a whole lot of difference in terms of mental health needs between boys and girls. Perhaps even 
depression is a bit more common with boys than with girls, but something happens at puberty because at puberty, there is a difference. And all of a sudden, depression, anxiety becomes much more prominent in girls than in boys. And if you realize that every time a person is diagnosed, say, with depression, they have an increased risk for yet another episode of depression. And if they've had two episodes of depression, they're at further increased risk for depression. And depression is so often accompanied by anxiety. So that complicates the issue as well. So when you think that as a girl reaches puberty, obviously hormones are raging. She is faced with that, plus the fact that, you know how it is, girls often form cliques, There are social issues, there are dynamic issues that come up. And in fact, there is a theory that as girls reach puberty, oxytocin levels, a hormone, rises. And we think of oxytocin as that hormone that makes us want to be with others, to assimilate with others, to form attachments. And that becomes very complicated as girls move into adolescence. So they're at risk for depression in that way. Then every time of the month, a lot of girls, as they are in puberty, as they move past puberty, they have issues premenstrually, which yet again increases the risk for mood changes. And then as we move forward, again, with increasing episodes of depression, there's an increased risk for a subsequent episode. And then, for example, as girls reach puberty and beyond as they perhaps want to have babies if they've been on an antidepressant or an anxiety agent. They're faced with the decision of whether or not they should remain on it as they become pregnant. And then again, in the postpartum, which is a highly vulnerable time for women, perhaps the most vulnerable time for women, whether they've had episodes of mood instability or anxiety in the past or not, they are at dramatically increased risk for mood changes at that time. And I think that is not as understood as it should be, perhaps, by most people. And then, of course, as women move on into later ages, for example, menopause, which presents its whole host of problems and mood issues. And again, for those women who've had prior episodes of depression, either in association with premenstrual disorders or postpartum, they too are at further risk for mood instability in association with perimenopause. Mm. So it it really is almost the majority of a woman's life. (laughs) They're vulnerable to these hormonal shifts. They're faced with challenges, right. Right. So what made you think about starting, you're the head of the Women's Life Clinic and the founder of the clinic at UCLA, What made you think about starting this type of clinic? Well, many years ago, now 30 years ago, I was head of the outpatient department at UCLA in the Department of Psychiatry. And it was a a great job. I supervised many young trainees, very interesting. I did see patients myself. But as I moved forward in that part of my career, I noticed that we were seeing lots of women, as I say, more than 50% women. And they would always often come 
with complaints like, I don't know, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm moody, I'm irritable. I wonder if it's that time of life or that time of the month. Do you think it's because I'm pregnant? Do you think it's because I've just had a baby? Is it because I'm breastfeeding? Is it because I stopped breastfeeding? And at that time, and we're talking around 1992, 1993, that many years ago, these are women who we would listen to, but yet not listen to, because if they were depressed, we put them in a mood disorders program. If they were anxious, we might put them in an anxiety disorders program. But we would kind of lop off that part of the equation that these women would talk about. And I began to think that maybe in a sense, we were not listening to our patients. And after all, what do all physicians, therapists really learn as part of their training? To listen to their patients. And so as I began to listen, I began to think, you know, we really ought to have a program that addresses those particular needs. So back in 1993, I started the Women's Life Center, and it has just taken off, and we are very, very busy. So 30 years ago, were there other clinics like that around? There was one other. There was one program at Mass General. It didn't so much deal with menopause. It really was focused on pregnancy and the postpartum. And in fact, I collaborated and talked to Dr. Lee Cohen, who was the head of that program and still remains the head. And we talked a little bit about my aspirations and my thoughts. And he was a tremendous supporter of the program that we formed at UCLA. So thinking about the last 30 years. Yes. What has changed? Well, what has changed is that there is an increase in recognition out in the community, both in the lay community, but also in the professional community, that there is this need for addressing women's health and in particular women's mental health. There is an increasing recognition specifically around pregnancy and the postpartum for sure. And what's changed in particular in our program is really quite wonderful because women are coming to us before they're pregnant asking us, what do I do? I know that I've had a problem with depression, perhaps recurrent depression, and I'm on something and I receive wonderful therapy. I'm on a medication that's really made a difference in my life. I've been able to make connections. I now I'm in a relationship that's working, that's quite stable. I feel great. I can work. And I'd like to become a mom. How can I do it safely? Should I stay on the medication I'm on? Should I perhaps reduce the dose? Should I change the medication? Should I stop the medication completely? I need to know what's safest for me and for the baby I wish to have. So it's kind of this openness in seeking help. Yes, because I think there's an understanding among the patients that something has now worked for them and life is good on the regimen that they are on, often with medication combined with psychotherapy, and they are feeling really good, ready to move on with another part of their lives. And after all, they recognize that being a mother is taking on a huge responsibility. It's a challenge, isn't it? And 
it's something that they want to embrace and do well. Anyone who understands that this is a challenge wants to really, as I say, embrace that part of their lives and make it rewarding, not just for their children, but also for themselves and for their families. And that's really a wonderful thing that this is something that's understood by women in every avenue of life, whether it is the middle-class mom, the more affluent mothers, but also women who are hardworking, working moms who really are trying to put their lives together in the best way possible. This is something that people really are beginning to understand in a way that is different than it was 30 years ago. I was also thinking about the collaboration with other specialties, primarily with OB-GYNs. And current day, when I talk to OB-GYNs about their thoughts about having women remain on medication, the majority of them, I mean, depending on what medication it is, the majority of medications we use are quite safe during pregnancy. And they often say, of course, I want them to be on medication. I want them to be well. So this desire in terms of other specialties, recognizing the importance of mental well-being during pregnancy and beyond. Yeah, and that's another change. 30 years ago, obstetrician gynecologists were very, very reluctant to even contemplate using medications, psychiatric medications during pregnancy. It's funny, they felt comfortable using medications, say for nausea or for diabetes or for other things. Many of the medications they were using have less data than the medications we have for psychiatry. But there was this sort of sense that psychiatric medications were in a whole different league and were perhaps we really had to think harder about them. Well, we do have to think hard about psychiatric medications. We have to think hard about all medications in pregnancy because we're talking about many things. We're talking about the health of the baby, the health of the fetus, the healthy movement through pregnancy so that the pregnancy itself will go well. And of course, the health of the mother and what we're really understanding, and OBs understand it now as well, that one of the most important factors in managing pregnancy in a healthful way is making sure that expectant moms are healthy emotionally as well as physically. It's the biggest predictor of a healthy outcome in pregnancy. Right. I also think there's probably just many different types of pregnancies you're seeing as time goes on about kind of thinking about surrogacy, different family makeups that make it much more richer in terms of thinking about treatment. Yeah. And and the reality is, as we know, there are many ways to be a mother. One way is to get pregnant naturally and have a baby. However, nowadays, women are often postponing pregnancy till a later age, and the longer you postpone, the harder it is to get pregnant. So we have reproductive endocrinologists whose specialty is infertility, or if not total infertility, fertility issues. So we have reproductive endocrinologists who need to work with patients. And one of the things we do as psychiatrists is work with patients who are facing those challenges. But even more, we're working with patients who, after repeated infertility treatments, 
still find it impossible to have that which they thought they wanted very badly. And then we work with patients around other ways to become a mother. Surrogacy is one way. Another way is embryo adoption, where you might adopt an embryo that is left over from a couple that have succeeded in using their embryos and are gracious enough to donate their embryos to somebody else who now will carry that baby and make it their own. That's yet another way. And then, of course, adoption. And what I always remind patients is because there's there's some sense that somehow you will be far more connected to a baby that you carry in your body than a child that is adopted. And I can tell you from my experience, both professionally, but also on a personal level with family members, to adopt a child is to make that child your own. There is something unique that happens hormonally to you with an adopted child. And I think it very much mimics what it is to have a child that you carry within your own body. And so we work with patients at all levels in all ways. Right. Well, moving to the postpartum period, because I I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but it is probably my favorite life transition to treat in my patients. I'm just curious what you like about treating postpartum depression. Great question. What I love treating about patients across pregnancy in the postpartum, but including the postpartum is that it's a wonderful career that I've chosen. Why? Because if treated well with a patient who's motivated, the outcome can be fab and most often is wonderful. I've often said to patients and to their partners who maybe are dealing with some difficult times postpartum and are worried about how this is going to turn out. I've often said, if you meet this challenge with me, if we work together, you can be the best mom ever. How you are today should not tell you how you will always be. Because I have seen it. I've had 30 years of experience. This can turn around and most often does. That is why this is an absolutely wonderful career, wonderful, wonderful thing that we do, those of us who treat postpartum women. Mm-hmm. Because the women who come to us often want help. And the biggest predictor of a successful outcome in therapy, and there are studies that have shown this, it hasn't got to do with exactly the type of therapy. It even doesn't have to do with the exact medication, because there are many medications within the same category. It doesn't have to do with the age of the therapist or even the gender of the therapist or the necessarily the age of the prospective mom. It has to do with the patient's motivation and determination to make it work. Only then can there be what we call a real therapeutic alliance. And invariably, the outcome is great. Right. And I mean, also stressing the importance of the connection with your provider. That's why, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about a give and take relationship. And if there is that and an open relationship in which a patient can ask all the questions she needs to ask with her permission, her significant other may 
want to ask some questions, one of the things I always do is share with my patients my thoughts at the initial appointment and thereafter. There are no secrets. We talk a lot about what the concerns are and how we will address those concerns. And if there are changes in medication, we talk about that. We talk about safety in pregnancy. We talk about how you compare the risks of being treated in certain ways and not being treated so that everyone is on the same page and understands why the decisions are being made to adopt a particular regimen and not another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, when you were talking, it made me think about the time that I had spent in the Women's Life Clinic. And I think what is still so special about it is women come in feeling cared for and heard. And during times in their lives when they're probably the most vulnerable and scared and terrified of whether you're pregnant and trying to figure out what you're going to do with medication and how you're going to take care of your own mental well-being, or if it's the postpartum period, you have this child to take care of and you're just not feeling well. And this idea that there's this whole clinic there to help them and care for them, I think in itself is just so therapeutic. And when I think of our clinic, I almost think of it as a community of providers. Yeah, it is a clinic. But to me, the word clinic often, I don't know, it has a medical feel when in fact, we really are a community of committed providers. Everyone who signs on to work with these patients is committed either because of a personal experience they've had or because they've learned by seeing many patients, that this is not a rare thing. You know, I remember when I myself, so many years ago, became pregnant the very first time. I have two children, but the very first time I wanted to get pregnant. It was a planned pregnancy. And then when I found out I was pregnant, my first thought was, oh my God, what have I done? What lies ahead is my life will be changed forever. I have a responsibility. And Thankfully, I was emotionally well. But even then, it felt like this enormous challenge ahead of me. Think about it, as you said, women who are vulnerable, who perhaps have had histories of some sort of mood issue, whether it's depression, even bipolar disorder. Because, you know, bipolar women can be wonderful mothers as well with the right care. Or severe anxiety or OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, or panic disorder, all of that and more, many other disorders, women have had eating disorders, with the right care in a community of therapy that really works for them, they can become the mothers that they want to be. And there are studies that have shown that women who have had histories of mental illness, when they are treated, their children are at much less risk to have mental illness themselves, at much less risk to have behavioral problems. Even going up into adolescence, they're more likely to have good relationships themselves. I mean, let's face it, we mothers, we are the template for our children. If we are very anxious, if we tend to think negatively, Our children see that. I don't mean to say that to make anyone feel guilty. My point is that with the right care, and that includes 
medication perhaps, and psychotherapy, we now carve out a new way of being in life. And that has an effect not just on us, not just on our partners, not just on our family, but on our children. The imprints on their brain will be different than if they have moms who are deeply depressed, who have mood instability, who have short tempers, who are very irritable, who are very anxious. This changes the lives of everyone. I almost feel like that is the best last words to leave the listener with. That is, I mean, I can tell you from loads of experience, I've seen it. This is what makes the difference, not just for women, but for everyone around them. Right. How many people have you treated? How do you, how many people? Very good question. Do you know? Um, You know, as I think about it, I probably have treated oh, I don't know, close to maybe 800 or 1,000 personal patients. But then in the clinic where I supervise and I come into contact with maybe six new patients a week and then following them over the course of whatever challenges they have in their lives. So it's well over several thousand, I'm sure. Yeah, It's been a good professional life and one which has impacted me as well as the people. And not only that, the people I've trained. One of the most rewarding things about what I've done is that, you know, when I started out, there was no specialty in women's mental health. Now we have community of reproductive psychiatrists in LA, in California, and throughout the country. This clinic spawned that. Imagine how I feel about that. It's pretty amazing. It's a good feeling. Quite an incredibly satisfying career. <laughs> yeah, well, look at you. You yeah. have, maybe you don't specialize in that, but I remember even in the work that you did in our clinic, you also dealt with women's mental health for another specialty for women with cancer. Mm-hmm. And boy, is there a need for that. Because there are some gender-specific cancers that really need attention from the perspective of a woman. Right. Yeah. Well, I think about, I mean, in terms of as a psychiatrist and any mental health professional, what's so special about the career is that someone trusts you enough to let you into their deepest, darkest moments and trusts you enough to be able to dispose concerns, worries, and the ability to kind of look at someone and say, you know, I think you're going to be okay is just incredibly healing. You have, And the patient has to feel and believe that her provider believes in her, mm. believes in her, trusts her. And that's what you have is a trusting relationships that everyone's goal is the same to get this right and to make the outcome a good one. Right. Well, I really appreciate you being on. It's been a while since I've talked to you and I just, it brings me back to being in the room with patients and just the amazing touch you have with people and the impact that you've made on so many lives. So I'm so honored. That you and I'm honored to have you invite me because you were one of us a while ago yeah. and you were out on your own. Yeah. 
Well, thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. And I'll make sure the listener has some resources about women's reproductive mental health if they want to learn a bit more about ways to get help. One thing I don't know I could mention is that I have authored, along with a couple of members of my program, two articles that were in the Washington Post, one on making the decision or not to use medications in pregnancy, and another one about whether to breastfeed or not, given one's mental health issues. And I can give you those resources. We'll make sure those are added because I think the listener might find that very interesting and important. So thanks for being on. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.